Hey, Dad, you realize you said we could talk about anything, right? Yeah, son, you can talk to me about anything. <laughs> and if you, tell, if you tell me the truth, the punishment will be less severe, and there may not be any punishment at all. Great. There's something I want to talk to you about. Did you get into trouble at school? No. Did you break your phone? No. Did you break your tablet? No. Then what? When can we get indoor plumbing? <laughs> when we use the outhouse in the summer, it's hot, and in the winter, it's freezing. Plus, it's not the most pleasant smelling place. When my friends come to visit, they laugh at us. Son, I don't see us getting indoor plumbing anytime soon. It simply costs too much. We have to buy your mama new teeth. <laughs> we have to get a new donkey to work the fields. Samson is just too old now. How much does it cost? Maybe I can get a job and help. Son, you'd have to work two years to save up enough for indoor plumbing. Oh, thanks, Dad. The outhouse that was there was the bane of Andrew's existence and was situated on the bank of a creek, and he was determined he would push that outhouse into the creek. <laughs> so one day, after a spring rain, the creek was swollen, and Andrew decided today was the day. He got a large stick and started pushing. Finally, the outhouse toppled into the creek and floated away. And later that night... Son, did you push the outhouse into the creek. E yes, I did. Let's go to the woodhouse. Why, Dad? What did I do? You just admitted to pushing that outhouse into the creek. Yeah, I told you the truth like you taught me to do so. Dad, I read in school today that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree, but he didn't get in trouble because he told the truth. Yeah, well, son, George Washington's father wasn't in that cherry tree. <laughs> How do you follow that? You know, most of us have never toppled an outhouse into a creek. But I think that all of us can identify with what Andrew had going on in that skit. There are, there are three things, I think, from that skit that we can identify with. The first one is, we all have something inside of us that, for some reason, from time to time, wants to do wrong. Even if we can justify it, uh, because the outhouse was smelly and cold and there might have been some justification there, but there's a part of us, each one of us, that wants to do wrong. Second, our selfishness, because that's initially what it is, our selfishness and our lack of goodness will always have some kind of an effect on others, usually the ones closest to us. And third, there are always consequences <laughs> to our choices, both good and bad. And we're going to see all these things at work as we get back into the story today. This week, we're going to discover that King David has it all. At one point, everything that he touched turns to gold, if you will. 
Everything he does is successful. He defeats his enemies time and time again as king. He also does something that most kings wouldn't do. He shows kindness to a fellow named Mephibosheth. And and in doing so, he expands his kingdom. The world, if you will, at this point is at peace. And David is basically at rest in his palace. Uh, Then we learn in 2 Samuel chapter 11, which is where we're going to start out today, or on page 161, if you have your story Bibles, that David lets his guard down. He finally thinks that he gets somewhere in life. He lets his guard down and he begins to make some tragic choices. These choices cause a pivotal shift in David's life, in, in his family and in his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, uh, we come today at this moment. We open up your word. And, and as we look at this moment in David's life, um, I pray that as individuals we'll make parallels to our own. We'll note where we've made mistakes. We'll... Uh, Follow David's example in repentance. We'll look for people like Nathan in our life who we can have accountability with. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we go through this series that we don't look at it as just cute stories from your word, but as things we can draw from, that we can hide in our hearts, that we can use to sharpen ourselves and uh, make ourselves a better reflection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As I said, we're in chapter 12 of your story Bibles or 2 Samuel chapter 11. And and in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, we read that David commits sins. And that's, you know, maybe not the end of the world. We all commit sins. David tries to cover them up. And don't act like you've never done that. We're going to start off in chapter 11, 2 Samuel verse 1. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. One evening, David got up from his... I think I skipped something there. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Verse 7, when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were doing, and and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his own house. Okay, let's recap this for a second. At first, it would seem as if poor King David was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, who hasn't been there? He gets up, out on the roof. He's on the palace. He's he's walking around, probably checking out his kingdom. And then it happens. He sees her bathing on the roof of her house. And at this moment, David has a choice to make. He can look away and go back inside, or, or he can take a second look. Now, let me just... Pause for a moment right here, because at this point of the story, I need to say this. God created man and woman. And when he created women, 
He did a really good job. We'll say that. And men, we recognize that God did a really good job creating women. And that's not a bad thing. Now, a buddy of mine named Philip Smith always says, guys, if you notice a pretty girl, that's okay. But when you stop and take the second look, that's where the problems begin. And basically, that's where David's problem starts to take shape here. Uh, First of all, he's at the palace when he should have been at war. For whatever reason, this is one war campaign that David decided, I'm going to sit this one out. You boys go ahead, conquer away. I'm going to be here at the palace. He should have been at war. Second of all, all of the people that are normally around him are at war. His accountability people are not there. Also, when he first saw Bathsheba, he should have just walked back into the palace or walked to another part of the roof. I'm assuming it's a palace roof. It's not a small area. He could have gone somewhere else. And so the initial sighting may not have been planned. And it wasn't a sinful thing for him to accidentally see a woman bathing on her roof. But his second look starts him down a slippery slope, and then he takes it a step further. He, he sends someone to see who she is. And then he takes another step by having his messenger bring her to the palace. And then he really sleeps, slips up when he decides to sleep with her. You see, he chooses to act deliberately. This is no longer a slip up. After that second look, these are deliberate acts that David makes. Now, let me share something with you guys. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, you don't need to get on your computer or your TV or your tablet or your phone. You will end up somewhere you probably really don't need to be or want to be. I'll say it this way. There are too many shades of gray in those devices in the middle of the night. But even if you aren't tempted with something less than average, studies show that all of our gadgets, our TVs, our computers, our our netbooks, all these things, our laptops, our, our iPads, all these things, when you turn them on, the, the lighting the, is, is the same or similar as what the sun puts off. And so what happens in the middle of the night is you, you wake up and you think, well, I can't sleep. I'll check Facebook. You, you turn that thing on and all of a sudden your brain is like, whoa, good morning. Let's continue to wake up. Let's, let's get moving. And the study shows that if you do that, you wake up and turn on something that puts out this light that you most likely will not fall back asleep. Because you are engaging these sensors in your mind and they are taking over and you are now in active mode and your body's saying it's time to do something. So your best move at this point, King David, is just to lay back down and pray yourself to sleep. That's what I advise you to do. That's what you have to do. Now back to the story. Here, David does this thing. He calls this woman. He finds out who she is. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, even though he knows she is Uriah's wife. And then she gets pregnant. Well, what do you do when you're the king and you get someone's wife pregnant? Well, you cover it up, of course. So here it is. Cover up part one. David tries to get Uriah to come home from war. He says, hey, you've been out fighting. Go home and wash your feet. Go go relax. Go be with your wife. And he thinks, hey, that's going to happen. And everybody will just think that the baby is Uriah's. There'd be no question. But Uriah is a man of integrity and he refuses to go home to his wife. Listen to this. 2 Samuel 11, starting with verse 10. David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house 
to eat and drink and make love to my wife. As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Now, here comes cover up part two. First off, David tries to cover it up by bringing this man home. He's thinking, hey, if I get him drunk, he's going to go home. He's going to be with his wife. Nobody will ever know. Doesn't happen. Even in a drunken stupor, Uriah does the right thing. All right. Uh, there's a different sermon on that later. Uh, but here it comes. David arranges to have Uriah killed in battle. And then he marries Bathsheba. You can't make this stuff up. Second Samuel eleven fourteen says in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest and then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. This is like soap opera back before they even had TV. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerub Besheth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asked you this, then say to him, moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had said to him. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After that time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife. And bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Okay, now before we start hacking on David, I'm pretty sure that at some level we have all been where he was. We have all sinned at some point in our lives. And then we think we've covered it up well because nobody found out. And this is where David is. He thinks everything is back to normal. He's thinking, well, my first plan didn't work out. Uriah didn't go home, but Uriah died in battle. What an honorable way for a man to die. And I'm going to do the right thing as his king. I'm going to bring his wife into my home and I'm going to love her and care for her because that's what a good king should do. And that's what he's putting out. That's what people are maybe seeing. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He thinks he covered it up. He thinks everything's back to normal. He thinks no one is the wiser. I wonder what Bathsheba thought about David when she found out about David's plan for offing her husband, because pretty soon that's what happens. But David, at this point, he thinks that his sins are covered up. But here's the cool thing about God. God loves David too much to let things continue to appear normal. And I want to tell you this. He loves you too much to leave you in your sin with no accountability and with no direction. David's sins are exposed by God through a man named Nathan. Nathan is a prophet. He's kind of the, the unsung hero of the whole story. In 2 Samuel verse 12, Nathan hears from God and he speaks what God tells him 
And then Nathan, in a private conversation, he exposes David's scandals to him. Now, a couple things we can learn from this, and I'm not going to, I'm going to hit on that whole story because you're going to read about this this week. But just so you know, what Nathan does with David, this is a good example of how accountability should work. If you find someone in sin, your job is not to expose them and humiliate them publicly. The first thing you should do is to listen to God's word and to go to them with humility and the strength of the Lord to talk to them about the situation. Now, if they refuse to listen or or change the action, then Scripture tells us we need to bring an elder into that conversation or someone who is spiritually mature and have a discussion with them. And at that point, if the actions of this person are not to be changed, it's more between them and God. You've done what you need to do, and there will be consequences. But here's the thing. Nathan listens to God, and he confronts David concerning his sin that he thought he got away with. And he does it in such a unique way. He doesn't just walk up and say, David, you're an adulteress and you should die. He doesn't say that. He tells him a story of a man who had a lamb and of a man who had many lambs and sheep and a whole flock and how the man who had many had a a friend come for dinner and instead of taking one of his animals to kill for dinner, he steals from the man who only had the one lamb that he raised and loved as a kid in his own family. And David gets crazy about this. I mean, he's like off the chart. I can't wait for you to read this because it's a great story. But David goes on and on about how horrible this person was and how this person deserves death and how this person uh, just, you know, there's nothing right in this person's life. Now, I also appreciate David's reaction to Nathan because as a king, the first thing David could have done, he could have punished Nathan for calling him out like this. He, he could have punished Nathan for getting into his personal, personal business. But what David says here, and we're going to pick up in verse 7. Nathan says to David, after he tells this story, David's all crazy about what should happen to this man who stole this guy's lamb. And Nathan says to David, you are the man. Can you imagine that? You are that man, David. And then he goes on, he says, this is what the Lord says. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I appointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives. I will give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Did you hear that? Let me ask you a question. I'm going to get in your business for a second. Pick your feet up off the floor because I might step on them. That's your spoiler alert. When, when was the last time that someone confronted you about a sin in your life and the first words out of your mouth were, I have sinned against the Lord? You know, Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. That's the good news. You're not going to die, David. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Here's the thing. David had some choices at that point. And unlike us, 
or even King Saul, who, who was king before David, he doesn't start making excuses for what he did. If you, if you look back in the story of the last chapter, King Saul made a lot of excuses for the mistakes that he made. But David didn't do that. David didn't even look at Nathan. He didn't say, hey, you sin too. Check the plank in your own eye before trying to get the speck out of mine. He didn't say that. Instead, he fully confesses his sin to Nathan and to God. He says, I have sinned. You're going to read about David's confession this week in your story Bible. If you don't have one, I encourage you to look it up in Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. But what we see in this confession, if you will, is that David comes clean with God. But he also understands that there are going to be consequences for his sins in his personal life and in his kingdom. And just like us, when we sin, the same thing happened with David. He lost his effectiveness for a while. And when we sin, we lose our our effectiveness. We lose our effectiveness as a messenger of the good news of Jesus Christ. When you allow sin to come into your life unchecked and unaccountable, you will lose your effectiveness with the people you work with. You will lose your effectiveness in leading your family the way you're called to lead your family. You will lose your effectiveness with the, the circle of friends that you hang out with. And the people that are in your life that you should be sharing and and being a reflection of the good news, you will lose that effectiveness when you allow sin in your life. And like David had to live with the consequences in his personal life, that will happen in ours as well. You see, some of these consequences were long in coming for David. Some of them were quick. First off, the baby that was born to him in Bathsheba dies. And then later, Solomon is born But right off the bat, the baby they have dies. Another consequence to David's sin is that his daughter is raped by a brother, no less. And then his son Absalom rebels against him. And those were just some personal consequences. The consequences of his kingdom. David has to flee in exile because as Absalom rebels and takes the throne, he's he's trying to kill his own father. Absalom then dies, but David's other son provokes the next major rebellion. And within all this turmoil... This is the neat thing about David. He bears these consequences with dignity. And David's relationship with the God of grace is restored. David understands more than these other things. The most important thing is that his relationship with the Lord is restored. That's the more that's more important. It's more important than his pride. It's more important than his kingdom. It's more important than all these other mistakes is that he is restored and his relationship with God is restored. But how about you? What's what's more important to you? That you continue to hide in your sin or that you actually come clean no matter what the earthly cost is? See, when people talk about the story of David and Bathsheba, too often they get hung up in the fact that, oh, David committed adultery. But I like to come on through that because on the other side of that, we see why David is still a man after God's own heart. Because he doesn't stay there. He doesn't make excuses. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he begins a track of of confession. He begins a track of, of repentance. He begins a track of making these things right so that he can once again be a man after God's own heart. When we sin, and we all will, we all do sin, God's goal is restoration. As I said before, he loves us too much to just leave us there. And it's not always gentle coming away from sin. In order for it to happen, though, there's some things we have to do. We have to admit our sins honestly to God. We have to seek out accountability. Let me tell you something. Don't wait for accountability to come to you. 
That's like sitting outside the doctor's office and waiting for a prescription to just be handed to you. That's not how it works. If you're struggling with something, you need to find someone who can help you with that struggle. You need accountability. The hardest thing to do in this whole process is what David did, is to live with the consequences of your sins with dignity. Continuing to seek the restoration with God rather than comparison with others. Because what happens is it's so easy for us to look at ourselves and then look out around at the people around us and go, well, yeah, I made some mistakes, but I'm doing better than he is. Or I'm not what she is. It's easy to do that, but that's not what David did. David didn't look at his kingdom and say, well, yeah, I did something stupid, but look at what all these other people are doing. He said, no, he said, I sinned before God and I want to make it right. And he lived with those consequences with dignity. And if we're going to, if we do these things, we will experience the forgiving, restoring grace of God. And we'll be able to avoid being like Saul who tried to make excuses for his sin. We need to be people of integrity like Uriah, the noble warrior who honored his king and his God and his fellow servicemen. And when we're confronted with sin, we need to be like David. We need to repent, not half-heartedly, not repent for the moment, not repent because we got caught or because it was exposed, but we need to repent. And today I want you to consider what full repentance looks like in your life. I, I don't, I'm not here to to call out what everybody's dealing with, because I don't know. But I know we're all broken somewhere. And we're going to continue to be broken together until we begin to seek full repentance of whatever it is that we're struggling with as individuals. It's time, David, to admit that you have sinned in the eyes of God. As we go into our response time, I just want to say this first off. Praise God for people like Nathan in our lives. If you don't have someone in your life like Nathan who, who will tell you when you've made a mistake and love you through it and give you some wisdom and some encouragement, I pray that you'll find that person. Praise God that there was someone like that in David's life. As, as we stand right now and sing our response song, I want you to consider how you'll respond to God's word. And as you think about that, as you think about what it will take for you to really put something behind you, I just want to say... Praise God, because our God of grace brings outsiders into his family. He brings God like, guys like David and helps them to continue to be after his heart. And he'll restore us in the same way that he restores David. Will you stand and sing with us? And if there's a thought on that like that that's on your heart for repentance, the elders are here and we'll help you down that path. It's been great to worship with you all today. Uh, But now it's time to go. As you go this week, I want you to think about your life and your actions, whether you're pushing an outhouse into a creek or pushing the boundaries of gossip and lies and anger and rebellion. Whatever you're dealing with in your life is separating you from God. It's time to admit that you have sinned in the eyes of God. Like I said earlier, ask for forgiveness. Seek out someone this week that you can be open and honest and accountable to, that you can be transparent with. Allow them to walk with you as you seek restoration in the Lord. As you do this, you won't just be reading God's story, but you'll be living it. And that's what we should be doing every week. Have a great week.